0: Kevon, how come you don't talk about the course a lot on Twitter? Uh And I was like, thinking about why. And the reason is...
1: Hi, and welcome back to Careers 2.0. I'm Philip, and today my guest is Kevon, a former CEO of an angel-backed startup that found his place in the creator economy. He went from a massive investment to making 10K per year as a beginner creator, to now being one of the leaders of his community and teaching others how to build their own career 2.0. A great guest to learn from. So let's jump right in. Usually, when I talk with creators, it's uh, the path is from a creator, from someone, some posts something online and then gradually it turns into a business, or it turns into even, even into a, a SaaS business. You're coming at it a little bit differently, like your background. You, you've been a VC backed as the CEO first, and then uh, transitioned into in the content creator, right? So I want to know, um, how do you treat the content creation job? Is it is it a side project for you? Is it a backup plan? Or is it just another mean to an end, which is, because I know that you still would like one day run some SaaS.
0: Well, yeah, you're exactly right. You did your research. Um, it was never really, let's create content and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, my background, actually not VC back, it's just angel back, but uh, still tons of pressure, always looking at the growth metrics and a lot of people to answer to. And honestly, I figured that I'm not that type of CEO who can take care of the team, the customer, and the investor. It's just too many parties. So it was end of 2020, I decided to leave the SaaS that I was running because it wasn't going anywhere and I didn't want to burn more of my investor money. So I thought that's Damn. the right thing to do. And my baby, my first daughter was coming along. So I had a two month break and I was like, uh, what should I do now? I don't want to just hop onto the next thing. I want to spend some time, reflect a little bit and maybe just spend time with my wife. So that's when I really just went online and look at what other people are doing. And I stumbled upon this blog by Nate Ellison, uh, a pretty popular creator, like writing for years. And I was like, wow, you can actually be recognized when you write online? I used to write online, but for B2B. So that was my light bulb moment. Like, okay, I love writing. I've been on and off with my blog mm-hmm. for years, but... Maybe I can take it seriously. I have two months. So that that was when I went all in, writing one article a week. That's it. Reflecting on my journey, ups and downs, failures from the SaaS and previous business. And yeah, that basically was it. I I went on IndieHackers.com and Twitter and things start to go. You know, I see people appreciating my writing and sharing. And that was, yeah, basically the the turning point.
1: You didn't see this as um, the, the creator economy or the, or the content creation game. Do you see it as a sort of more a lifestyle choice than a business choice?
0: I think it's both. Like uh, after running that angel back startup, raising money and then trying to pitch to more VC, I didn't like that game. So uh-huh. I want to start going down the lifestyle pathway. I make enough money to sustain my family. But at the same time, you know, the first question you asked me is, is this like a hobby at first or is this a business strategy at first? It was pretty business, like because I had a ton of background starting things in the past, right? So I was like, no, let's, let's build some traction and see where that goes. If it didn't happen, then I'll figure something
1: else out. There is a pattern that I see is that successful creators look at, the, look at their, what they're doing as a business they they like you can have a hobby and and it can you can create for years and it can go nowhere or you can explode very quickly uh because you look at it as a business so what makes what made it a business for you in what way did you treat it as a business? did you look at the metrics? did you realize what to track and 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 how to go about it in order for it to be successful?
0: yeah, definitely because I had tons of failure from before, and the biggest thing is before we were running a SaaS and we were building the solution first and then trying to look at who are our customer? Is it marketers, educators? We were going everywhere. And so I learned a ton about, you know, you really need to just solve one problem for one group of people. So this time around is so easy because I'm on my own. I can move so fast. So I look at not really data. I'm not that data driven, but I look for signals. So mm-hmm. the reason why I started with the build-in public guide is I was watching around Twitter Space and a lot of people are starting to build in public. But then I did a Google search "build in public." I saw four articles and they are like a thousand, thousand five hundred words. That's it. So I was like, "How come no one is teaching this, but everyone is trying to do it?" Mm-hmm. So that was my first like, "Oh my god, I am the person to do this." But also because it fits with my life principle, like honesty, transparency, helpfulness, is who I, who I am, and how mm-hmm. I want to live it for more and more decades. So I just give it a try. So the guide was the first project, and then I look for the signals: Are people enjoying it? Do I get readers? And it did. So I look for the second signal: Can I build another product, which is the free email course, making Twitter friends, and it kind of got a lot of subscribers too and then I started my pay product so it's always step by step trying to figure out that next baby step
1: are you the believer in the principle of audience first product second or rather build small products whether you call them mvps or or projects or freebies lead magnets whatever and that comes first and from that you're trying to uh, low effort products from which you're trying to get the audience and the signals I think that's a
0: great question. I think people can take that a wrong way when we say audience first. Mm -hmm. I think so many people, right? Actually, there are people doing this before I do it. They just grow the following first, like on YouTube. I don't know what I'm doing. So let's just shoot some videos, grow it to 10K followers, and then figure out what's next. Um, Of course, I've been observing and I see a lot of people actually stop creating content because they're like what is this is this is not a business why am i spending so many hours on this yeah so the approach that i took is i definitely believe in audience first because when you show up and immediately you jump to working on a paid product and trying to charge people Mm -hmm. it doesn't work in this economy because you need to build a lot of trust first And when I say I have tons of failures before, entrepreneurial experience, really when I got into this space, I had no niche, I had no friends, I had no followers. So I decided to spend six months making zero dollars just to build up that trust and credibility. So in terms of audience first, I believe in it because, hey, I spent six months building audience first, but it is a very strategic audience. Like, building public audience people who are just getting started online instead of i'm just creating content and see who is just watching not like that can you run me through the sort of product
1: creation um it it seems to me like you did your research so the product was uh, not uh, just a spur of a moment and your own passion but actually you looked at the audience and you looked at the uh, at the market how it was back then How would you approach it right now? How would you start your research? Where would it be? Would it be a social platform that you enjoy or a topic that you enjoy? How would you go about it?
0: Yeah, it's very similar to how I started my first project, Building Public Guide. So again, back then I was a nobody, right? So if I were to write the Building Public Guide and then I would put it out maybe on Twitter or IndieHackers.com. No one would care about me. Like, who is this guy, Kavon, trying to write a guide to teach us? That will never work. So, it is still the same approach, which I first got onto the Building Public group on Indie Hackers. And hey. I actually read every single post and I have the Notion page open. So, I tote down all the notes. So, it's kind of like learning in public. Over time, I am equipped of all the knowledge around this topic and then what I did next is there are always new posts coming out every day so I would be every morning I open that page and I saw a new question I'm like okay let me just try to help this person Uh, not as an expert because I'm not but as someone who is like learning a couple weeks ago with all this knowledge so people find it really helpful so I decided to take my time to write the guide, but keep helping people, keep asking, hey, maybe you can read a chapter and share with me your feedback. So I think that was the customer research or market research that I still think is the most valid way. You have to put the people first and you have to watch and listen to all the signals so that your product has all the answers for them. And maybe even your copywriting of your landing page has all the answers. That's when people go, wow, this is written for me because it speaks to their heart. So I'll still do it the same way. There are two approaches
1: that you can take, I think, right? So you can be an expert uh, if you have some trust and experience and maybe a following. But you can also take the learner's approach, the student that just, as you said, learns in public, right? And then you build the knowledge and the trust and expertise over
0: time. While just sharing what you learn—that's that's sort of what you're saying, right? Totally. Even though I have about six years of entrepreneurial experience, I prefer to show up as a learner. Like I just mm-hmm. feel kind of weird if I have to pretend that I know a lot, and then if people challenge me, I'm like, ah, I'm a bit paranoid. I don't want to feel like that yeah. because it will happen a lot. So I prefer to show up as I'm learning this. I'm sharing this. You might find this useful, but if you don't, that's okay as well. We don't want the imposter syndrome
1: to kick in uh, too often, right? I think so. Yeah. We talk a lot about trust, and you mentioned trust and building trust. Um, what is the indicator of trust these days? Because if we're, if we sort of dumb it down only to the number of followers, <laughs> you know, um, then 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 it's sort of I don't know, sad maybe, right? That that we judge and and you mentioned in your book as well that we sort of that's how it is. We we judge people and their expertise based on the number of followers on the, on the social platform that um, that, that we uh, are active on and try to build this expertise. Is there only any other indicators or do you think that this is unfortunately it and we have to just gather the numbers?
0: I think that was the first impression. We are all judgmental. So Philip, when I look at your Twitter account, I'm like, okay, <laughs> he got so many followers. So, so I, I immediately form a perception about who yeah. you are. We all do that, so it's a fact. But I think eventually, if you want to sell something to someone, if you want someone to be in your community, it has to be more than that because we're, we're not dumb people. Everyone is kind of smart, everyone can see it. I think the best signal these days are how many people are talking about you? I think that is really hard to fake. Um, on Instagram, on Twitter, it's so easy to fake follower count. It's so easy to fake um, engagement, like likes or even replies. It's, it's easy. Uh-huh. Yeah, I see a lot of AI replies these days. But when you have real people saying, Philip, you are awesome. This You're the person I would recommend to everyone. When you hear people say, "Kavan is the most genuine person on Twitter from someone you know, I think that's the best signal. So I'm always trying to, you know, Built myself a reputation that optimized those kind of signals. And it, when you when when talk about signals, uh,
1: we talk about Twitter. That's your platform of choice right now. Although you are uh, expanding, I, I think, into YouTube, right? A little bit more. Can you tell me about those choices? Like, did you choose Twitter because it was your favorite platform from the get-go or because your market and the people that you wanted to get in
0: touch with, they were there? Um, Or it was just a calculated choice? Semi-calculated. So far from the conversation, you probably know that I I, I, I do things because of certain reasons. I don't just do it. And this is because I've done all the wrong choices in the past. So I chose Twitter mainly because I started from indiehackers.com. And my focus are bootstrap founders, bootstrap entrepreneurs, and new creators. People just getting started. And naturally, a lot of them are actually on Twitter. So I find a lot of um, people on IndieHacker and Twitter. So it's so easy for me to relate to these people and make friends with them. It feels very natural. But the second reason is I actually started YouTube uh, back in 2018. I made six videos by myself. I did all the editing. It took me 30 hours for one video. And I realized the format matters a lot youtube 30 hours a week there's no way i can scale this business like the whole the the entire week i'm working on one video but twitter is different like i'm i'm pretty comfortable writing so to be able to jot down my ideas and thoughts and push out like 20 tweets a week that's pretty easy (laughs) i can i can do it in like an hour and a half for 20 tweets a week these days so I think finding a medium that's comfortable to you is super important. So that's why some people are good at taking up the camera and like talk and Instagram story is great. But if you're more knowledge or wisdom based, Twitter is the place. At the same time, you are now quite
1: consistently creating on YouTube as well. And from talking with other creators, big YouTubers even, um, the, the value that lies there is the longevity of the platform. So you post a tweet, it has a you know shelf life of a day tops and then it disappears, whereas you can make a well- positioned video uh, and then it will last you for years if people because the problems never change right? People will still look for them. YouTube being like the second biggest search engine at the moment. people go there and they will find those answers and hopefully over time you can build up a bigger um, collection of, of, of knowledge that is that, that is there. Is that the thinking behind it, or is just a passion project?
0: Oh, it's n- it's not a passion project.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just said you are a calculated person. You're, you're a calculated person. No, no, no. Yeah.
0: No passion. But actually, I have a interesting theory about passion. I think passion comes when you are mindful about what how you do things. Like me, being public is who I am, and Twitter is how I want to talk. And you get recognition. That's when passion comes. When these two things overlap. But anyway, YouTube is, is again, a strategy. Um, I am a believer that when you're just starting out, you need to focus on one platform because Mm -hmm. it's not just about posting. Posting is the easy part. It's about understanding the culture, blending into the network, knowing people, getting the shout out, the the best signals you can. It takes a long time. So the first two years, only Twitter. Um, but after two years, I feel like, well, Twitter is easy for me because I have a system around that. And YouTube comes in because I was thinking my biggest product is my building public mastery live cohort. Mm-hmm. And I have to teach live. People need to see who I am, the energy level, what kind of person he really is. Is he really someone in like in his article or is he faking it in his article people need to see that and the best way is to show up on video so i think you by being on youtube people can get a sense of what the course is like that was reason number one uh i think reason number two is what you said like twitter essentially is still relying on people so you get discovered through other people but youtube opened up like a new thing through keyword for me. So I just want to bet on that. Um, But I do have a very specific positioning for each channel. So for YouTube, I'm not trying to be someone with 100,000 followers. Mm -hmm. I am looking at YouTube as, you know, Twitter is where people discover me. Newsletter is how we keep in touch. YouTube is how we really build that connection because you're looking into my face and then that's the that's the user journey between these people and me that's how i think about it i actually had a conversation about it quite
1: recently Uh, i don't know if you agree that especially these days uh, with as you mentioned ai replies uh ai content ai tweets um the, the trust in the written word uh disappears a little bit or at least diminishes the value of the written word whereas you talking to a camera well not yet that easy to fake uh, do you think that the that the value of the face um, the face value of a creator will increase with time i i
0: absolutely agree i was just replying someone's tweet about text tweets are easy to fake everyone sounds like they're expert building a course writing a book is a bit harder especially writing a book well ebook is easy <laughs> you can write whatever publish whatever in weeks but if you really want a book that is you know someone hold the book and take a picture of it mm-hmm. not so easy and that's also my reason why i publish a book because i i think it's a huge credibility boost um because people are holding your book so so yes i think we should do more things that has a higher barrier to entry you, you mentioned uh, Twitter system because you
1: said Twitter is easy for me because I have a system. So let's circle back to the system. Can you share about the system? Do you have like now, um, I don't know, a I- content idea database including thousands of items and you just pick and choose and schedule them 10 days ahead? Or
0: how does it work? First of all, I'm not a crazy system person. I'm not the notion guru or uh, anyone with like thousands of tweets ideas my system is very simple because I I feel like the best system is whatever fits you you don't need someone else like complicated system so I I'm really against writing real-time tweets like when you want to say something and you go on twitter.com and try to write something it's going to be trash because I don't know if that happens to you but every time I'm writing I'm overthinking the word choice When I'm about to press publish, I'm like, oh, should I do it? And then after I click it, I'm like, oh, I want to delete it and change something. It takes ages to write that tweet real time. So it's a waste of time. But my system is like I collect ideas anytime. Even in the shower, I would jump out and write it down on my phone. Every Monday after lunch, I have a 90-minute blog. And I would look at the ideas that I've jotted down over the last week or actually from before and I would just like look at the 20 slots that I need to fill this week and I would take them and I'm in writing mode now I'm not in like coming up with ideas mode I would just take them and write it so it's very effective because I'm writing in batch and I'm in a storytelling mode so I can you know be really good at it for like two hours and I would schedule all of them so that's one side of it but the other side is the building public part so When you're using this method, usually you're talking about thoughts, you're talking about opinions. And it's not very good when you really want to show something about your current product. So that is a bit more strategic. For example, if I have like a product launch coming up, usually I would, you know, find maybe three angles to talk about it this week and then three angles to talk about it next week. And then I would slot it Uh, in as well. But uh, that being said, I still believe we should leave 20% for just randomness. Sometimes I'm doing something I really want to put on Twitter. I can do it. But then now there's no pressure. Like if I don't do it, uh, I still have the schedule thoughts going out. So I can really focus on the real work, not just tweeting. So that's my system. I don't want to go too in depth, because I can send uh,
1: everyone over to your book, Find Joy in, Joy in, ha- in Chaos, uh, that, that goes very in depth into ideas and generation and systems and, and, and whatnot. But what I'm very interested in, if you could shortly describe, is the evolving tactic of growth while you grow. So it's a little bit different when you're a small account, and a little bit different um, things that you should do, whereas where you grow, that tactics and the strategy changes and adapts a little. Can you can you tell us
0: shortly how how would would you go about it? Hmm, this is a tough question because because the strategy definitely changes, but it's different for everyone because it depends on the niche, the product type, everything. But to put it into perspective, like in my case, I'm a knowledge-based creator. I'm more creator educator. I like to teach. So I spend more time learning how to teach than a creator entertainer who's making fun content. So to me, you know, the early stage strategy is very focused on working with the community, like asking them for feedback for my chapters. And then um, they get early access to it. I listen carefully to the feedback. I use their feedback to shape the product it's like working with a lot of beta Mm -hmm. users at the same time and that works the best because after all like community audience is all about people but then getting to where i am today um that part is still ongoing but i definitely spend more time you know figuring out how to grow my email list um how do i design you what i said like twitter is for discovery youtube is to build connection design the step so that you know people are discovering my work on a step-to-step basis and then each time they learn a bit more about me so i spend so much more time on those like back-end engineering things yeah funnel building basically yeah uh, yeah could, okay two word explain what i
1: just said <laughs> <laughs> No no but uh, i hear it a lot and i agree with it completely in uh, in my marketing and sales career this is also something that that we put big emphasis on which is uh stop renting someone else's land on twitter and instagram and growing following that you can lose uh Elon will have a bad day and will block you you know anything can happen <laughs> so value of an email uh is much Higher than a, a random follower, I presume. did you did, can you put a number on it? Uh, like conversion wise even even monetary value?
0: Probably one to a hundred Wow. but at the same time, ah, it's it's hard to compare like that because essentially social media is for some things. email list is for some things, right? Let's talk about social media. I think it's great for discovery. Like someone mm-hmm. can just tag you and then random people get to know you. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, it's good for connections. You know, we I think we started talking on Twitter uh, because of the sponsorship slot. And then we were chatting a little bit. That's great. Like very casual, very chit-chatty. And it's great for referral, word of mouth. Like I can just mm-hmm. say,
1: Philip is awesome. That's it. That's going to be a snippet, by the way. Yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All
0: right. I'm, I'm putting it in as a testimonial. <laughs> Let, let's, let's do that. Yeah. So social media is great for that. But email list is really for you know sharing longer form content, you know pushing offers, uh-huh. showing people what you're doing. So they have different responsibilities. So a lot of people would say, oh, email list is like 100 times more worthy but I don't think you can do it without the social media's help. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you refrain from selling
1: on social media? Do you leave your email list for the for the sales part and you just use social media to drive people to your emails and that's when the sales pitch happens?
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> One of my students uh, at Building Public Mastery told me, Kavon, how come you don't talk about the course a lot on Twitter? Uh-huh. And I was like, thinking about why and the reason is I don't want to be seen as a person who is like pushing so hard about my offer like I'm doing enrollment so every Mm -hmm. day I'm gonna drop testimonials drop discount and all that I don't want to play that game I'm on Twitter for like a brand like a person a real person I would drop something to say I'm launching the cohort soon but I wouldn't push too hard. Uh, and when I see other experienced creators do that, I think I understand because Twitter for them is maybe not a major channel. Uh, maybe they have another way for the brand building. But to me, Twitter is kind of my, my blood. Like I have a book about Twitter, so I wanna maintain my my reputation that way. So I definitely do more of the you know launching and selling in emails.
1: Would it be different for YouTube though? considering that as you said this is sort of down the funnel more uh, for people who already know about you just to, to get more familiar with your face and create more trust so would you are you more comfortable
0: selling there um no <laughs> the reason is because it's is it is even harder to sell on video it's like hey by the way I have this cohort coming up that's a little awkward plus, the bigger reason is I'm releasing one video every two weeks. Uh-huh. So uh, it's, it's never going to make it in time for the right message to get to the right hand. Get so it. on Twitter, even though I say it's for deepening the connection, um, I still try to bring people back to the email list there. So yeah, if they already subscribe, then that's fine. But if new people come in, I hope that they would get into the email list because I can send email anytime, yeah. Uh,
1: as you're the built-in public guide, and maybe you can publicly tell us a little bit about your product range and the revenue that comes from it. So if you could just shortly describe where the money comes from, which product, where's the, and, and if there's some changes, because uh, right now you have a, quite a portfolio, I would say, of products and offers uh, from a free book to a cohort-based course. This is a very popular thing. So can you run us down
0: through through the product range, so sort to of speak? Sure. I'm actually really transparent about this. Uh, I have a oh, yes. blog post called a 2022 year in review, and I have the whole pie chart and the numbers in there. So in 2022, I think the revenue is like 47,000. It's my second year in this space. So I think it's it's, it's pretty good. I'm humble. Yeah. It's growing. The first year is 10K. So it was very, very uh frustrating if you just look at the numbers. But again, it's a long thing. So I think it's 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 good. Anyway, uh second year two thousand and twenty two, I believe the cohort based course is like seventy percent. Uh-huh. Seven zero. Because yeah, it, it's my biggest product. I run it with my like all my effort and I Like when I run the cohort that month, I can do nothing else. I put all my energy to my student. So that's who I am. And then there's like a bunch of other things like info products, books, Uh a bit of consulting calls, um, sponsorships, a bit of pay workshops, a bit of like um, partnerships. And those are like 30%. So it's very simple. Like my portfolio in, in a sense, if you look at it this way. The cohort-based course is then the end of the funnel. That's where you sort of would like everyone to end up, right? Uh, Yeah, exactly. That would be uh, because it's my biggest product. So it's also the highest price point. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, if you are into, I don't know, like value ladder or like portfolio, whatever that is, you always want a way for people to stay if they want to get more value from you. Mm -hmm. But this is a, wow, we can talk about this for hours. Um, You can charge a recurring fee for staying in a community. But I'm a big fan of, I think Daniel Vassalo talks about this. And a a few creators around me talk about this. Like Asking people to pay monthly to stay in a course community, it's not that nice. On one hand, from a business decision standpoint, it's easier to get someone to say, I have $1,500 and I want to learn this thing. Pay once Mm -hmm. and stay in on a different side um, I think people have less friction or worries if they don't have to think about should I stay in this community or not Yeah. Um, so for now I'm still doing one price point get in and you're in right I don't know whether I would charge like a recurring fee I don't see it in the next 12 months at all because as I said like I don't want people to have that decision making point every single month or quarter but i do start to expand my offering to coaching so once you take building public mastery it's a four-week cohort you're in the community right Uh and if you want me to help you step by step to launch your product in public now i have a new offer and that is like a four-month thing so it's a bit like recurring but not like forever recurring so, that is how I think about extending my offer. But I want to remind anyone listening to this I'm only extending after two and a half years. Uh, if you start out, don't worry too much. You should focus on one thing at a time. All right. So,
1: a little quick fire round. What do you say about that? Uh, short questions and short answers. Very easy. No worries. I'm an open book. Are you a team player or lone wolf? Lone wolf. Do you take risks or carefully calculate? Carefully calculate it. Mobile or desktop? Desktop. Who
0: inspires you most? <laughs> this is... Wow. There's so many different answers. My daughter, Avery, my first daughter, Avery. The second one won't be happy to hear it. Well, she's um, only seven weeks. <laughs> this podcast is
1: going big. She's going to hear it. I, I, have, right. I promise. All right. What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt?
0: never thought of this. Uh,
1: I'm glad you, you, you stumbled. I think a helicopter pilot would be cool. Nice. Um, what is an underappreciated business tool that you couldn't live without?
0: Uh, emails. I'm, I'm a lover of emails. I'm also a zero inbox guy. Welcome to the club. What's your productivity life hack? I plan for Monday to Wednesday, but I leave Thursday and Friday pretty empty so I can clean up the leftover. This works so well for me.
1: And lastly, what does success mean to you?
0: It means I'm doing something I really enjoy. Like I wake up, I feel energized to go to do my thing, and then I'm getting recognized and people are getting help and value around me. That's actually exactly what I'm doing now. That's why I'm going to keep going, no matter what. Um, amazing. Okay, um, I was thinking about
1: uh, you building in public, uh, building in public. Uh, it's very meta. <laughs> um, but I-, I wonder sometimes whether um, we may be forced into an echo chamber of sorts. You know, uh, we're talking about building in public, in public, we talk about content creation by creating content, uh, and, it's, uh, and it creates this sort of um, one, there's only one way to do things. Uh, do you are you open to like exploring different ways of of doing business, or you think you found uh, the the one and only recipe to build a sustainable business without huge upfront investment?
0: Oh, I I definitely don't think building public it's the only strategy. Like personally, I don't just use building public, right? I have my email strategy, I have my sales strategy. So I think building public is only one thing of your skill set um and it's only good for a certain kind of business and people it's especially good for you know solopreneurs who don't want to spend too much money on marketing like we have to rely on ourselves which our stories are all free um social media is also free in a way um but if you are you know like my previous life if you are in an angel back situation I would think with building in public might be a waste of time like it's much better if you go get a partnership that can bring you thousands of users already you know that kind of thing so i'm definitely open to it's a portfolio of skill sets of strategies and building public is just one that is possible uh-huh. for for you i
1: have a sort of um thought experiment if you had the angel money uh that you should invest in yourself in your personal brand how would you
0: spend it i thought about this you know i thought about like you know creators can raise money you know it's a business we are the business but honestly if you give me money i don't know what to do because i study finance i did accounting as well so i have my profit and loss like month to month i track everything and I'm very careful about how I spend money. And this is why like a lot of early creators, they would go out, buy a lot of courses and those, I would never do that. So there's a book called Profit First. It's about, you know, preserving your profit, keep some for your savings, keep some for taxes. And the way I look at it is uh, my current profit margin is 70%. So revenue, hundred percent, 30% cost. And as I grow, and if I just don't spend on anything new, that percentage will drop. Like this year, maybe it would drop to 20%. So then I would look at, oh, I should still push it to 30% because with some investment or budget, you can grow faster. Then I would look at, okay, now I have like six more K to spend. So this is my current way. So back to your question, if you give me like 100,000 right now, I really don't know where I would spend because if I'm spending on ads, bringing more people into my email list, Uh it's just going to overwhelm me. I don't want to get burned out. So I prefer a very steady growth. That's the lifestyle that you have chosen. That's what we talked about, right?
1: Exactly. Circling back to the community. uh, We mentioned it a lot. Um, Some creators look at the... They use interchangeably the term audience and community. Some, on the other hand, think of community as people that you actually spend time with and talk with, uh, maybe even outside of social media, maybe on a Slack group or anything like that. Have you been part of any communities like this or built or your own with your course? And, and and what kind of value do you see in such a close-knit community rather than just uh, audience-wise? Good
0: question. Because as much as I'm seen as a community person from an outsider standpoint, I'm not very active in many communities because i just don't have the time <laughs> it takes time to again knowing the people um, helping them or even ask questions so i'm very careful with that so far i run my own community and i'm all, only in one other community so this one is called creator science by Jay klaus i got in because i feel like he's like me the way he shows up is very genuine very helpful not just want to push products to your face not just want you to take out your credit card and my thought is i want to learn from this guy and when i got in i was surprised the people in there are exactly like us super supportive super helpful nothing like the twitter bros so i think it's money well spent
1: you know it's worth mentioning that J Klaus community is a very high ticket community. I think not, not many other are uh, as high ticket. Do you think that maybe, and it's, and it's limited, there are like 200 spots. And now there's a waiting list of people that want to get in. Do, do you think that this exclusivity uh, is like people pay money and they have this commitment, you know, uh, skin in the game type of stuff, that it's not like some other free, com- free community, or as you mentioned, you buy a product and then you have a lifetime community. Maybe there is not enough incentive to be engaged, to be part of it, uh, because this is where you spend your money. That's your intentionality in, in doing that, right?
0: Oh, totally. Like, for example, in my case, right, people pay one fee, get in, take the course, and you know, 50% or even 60% will never show up again. Mm-hmm. Even they don't have to pay any more. It's just how people work. Like, they focus on one thing at a time. But for Jays, is a recurring fee. I... I like the exclusivity, but not because it's like a marketing tactic or something. Uh It's because we understand the value of a community decreases as the number of members increases. I actually wrote a tweet back to Jay, I think a week ago. Uh, Someone was asking him, would you ever change this decision to open up to more than 200? And I reply, if you open up more than 200, I'll be the first one to go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. and the reason is is true i I cannot manage my energy in there. I wouldn't be helpful. I wouldn't get value. Why would I be paying? So I think he's really smart about this. yeah,
1: as a creator, what kind of value do you get from such community? I'm one hundred percent sure that you can teach people a lot of a lot of things what what do What do you learn from them?
0: I think one thing we entrepreneurs have to recognize is that there are a lot of content out there teaching entrepreneurship, right? But usually they're for beginners. Mm -hmm. It's all the same thing. (laughs) And once you're past the beginner stage, like I I think I'm in a growth stage right now, Mm -hmm. those articles, those free videos, they're not digging deep enough because everyone is creating those free content for the beginners. So the biggest value when I got into j cloud's community is that i can chat with other creators we all kind of growth stage Mm -hmm. and we can talk about okay we both have a cohort coming up what are some ways to do promotion oh you can do affiliate programming and you don't have to ask people to promote your course you can ask people to promote your free events i didn't know that that's like so cool and then he's even sent me his whole like notion document And now I can just like create my own with ease. So that kind of support to each other is incredible. Like I think that uh, like a thousand, two thousand dollars is worth it when you are ready to share that knowledge with other entrepreneurs. But of course, if you're just there to keep getting from people, like uh, it might not go so well. But yeah, there's a lot of hidden secret in, entrepreneurship that people just don't talk about can you tell us uh, what are the different
1: problems that you're facing now versus the beginner stage so you're past sort of the urge i guess to grow your following uh, exponentially you are facing more business issues and sales issues and marketing issues what are those that uh, occupy the most of your time
0: i think we're always thinking about sales right um this is actually really hard as a cohort based course creator, Uh you run three, four times a year. It is 70% of my revenue. Now I'm opening up the cart next week. Uh, next week is April 18. You always get this feeling like, oh my God, what if this enrollment sucks? (laughs) Then your whole plan for the year is kind of ruined because of that. So. That's why we always think about sales like, okay, how can we get more people into the door so that we can show some kind of value? Um, What are some ways so that we can maybe get early enrollments to know for sure how many people would sign up? You don't want to end the enrollment on the day you start the course, right? That would be very uh, busy on the last few days. So I think sales is always top of mind. Um, second of all, I definitely see a lot of topics around how overwhelmed we are. <laughs> like how close to burnout we are. Like, honestly, I, I'm i very disciplined. I'm very organized and I handle my energy pretty well. Uh, but still, I feel sometimes, some days I feel frustrated like, I have so much to do I'm the only one who can do it I have contractors but they cannot do what I do they handle some parts but I still have to do most of it like like my YouTube videos like Uh it's not as easy as you film it throw it to an editor and they will finish the job if you have $500 for each video maybe but I don't have that budget so I actually have to watch all the clips and give them a very detailed instructions so then they can do a job at a very cheaper rate right less hours yeah so yeah it's it's managing the the timeline and energy
1: do you think that um that's because your business is so attached to well your personal brand like you you're the one that has to be on those videos you're the one that has to run the the cohort course have you thought about ways to sort of detach yourself from the business create i don't know info products or long-term hire people that could run the cohort courses community managers and whatnot that could support you in this or you think that well this is the promise that i make to my audience to be there for them so i have to do that
0: i definitely think i can hire you to help me out like for example in the cohort i already have a community assistant but uh at the same time i feel like this is what a creator is about like once you outsource some parts of it, the quality will, will go down. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, honestly, I ask my students like, okay, let's have some feedback session where you can all share and we'll go around. But some students actually say, I'm here for you, Kavon. So I want to hear you talk more. So I think we just need to acknowledge that this is the business model. Um, we can delegate a lot of the back end to other people but like Eli Abdao I think he he mentioned in some videos like he still has to do all the videos he has to show up but you know the research and scripting can be done by someone else Um, I'm not at the point where I'm ready to you know outsource more Um, it's not the right time for me yet but maybe eventually eventually I can I can bring in other people to teach this topic using their name it doesn't have yeah. to be my name, honestly. Yeah.
1: I think you're right. It's a it's a balancing act. So uh, if you want to grow on scale and hire more people, then uh, maybe the production quality grows, but the personal brand quality will diminish and your time involvement will, will drop. So yeah, it's definitely a balance that you have to achieve. Um, I, I'm glad to hear that you are in your balance at the moment. I hope you will not burn out. <laughs> I hope that you will continue to churn out awesome content. Do you have any goals for the upcoming year, like revenue-wise or, or other?
0: Yeah, definitely. Pretty open about that as well. Uh, my goal this year is 120K. I don't think I can make it, but I, I'm i like the Google OKR guy. I like to aim high. So even if I failed, I would have achieved more than if I aimed low. So 120K. But uh, that's just kind of like a North Star metric. Um, I'm still doing the same thing, still creating value for the students. Uh, That doesn't change. And you're creating a lot of value and you provided us a lot of value uh, in this little
1: interview. So I thank you for that. Uh, And I thank you for your time.
0: You're welcome, Philip. I really enjoy this kind of chat. Like it's so authentic, casual and not scripted. So it's kind of fun as well. Well, I, I do have a little script on the side, but... Uh, Not scripted on my side. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, no, I, w- I wouldn't let you script your answers. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Kevin, and uh, good luck. Thanks for having me, Philip. I have to say, I've experienced it myself. Both learning and building is so much easier when you do it with other people in a community, especially in a creator economy where most creators are well by themselves. So. Let's set high goals, try to reach them together, and be okay with falling a little bit short. My goal right now is to get as many reviews of this podcast as possible. So please, leave us a review wherever you're watching or listening to us, and I'll catch you in the next one.